Welcome to Dig It. This is The Speaker. Um, I'm here today with my co-hosts, The Sharp Edge and Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing good today. That's good to hear. Uh, listen, today we have a special guest because it's a special episode. Uh, Google whistleblower Zach Voorhees is joining us. Um, he's going to talk about his recent 950-page document dump and the laptop he turned over to the DOJ and Project Veritas. Um, a little bit about Zach. Uh, he worked at Google for eight years. Uh, he was a senior engineer at Google. And over the past years, he's started to notice a lot of uh, manipulation tactics being used uh, to affect the elections, blacklisting searches, suppressing of information, and pushing certain searches and agendas uh, to the top of their algorithm. But before we begin, I just want to take a moment, uh, Zach, to really thank you and commemorate you on your bravery and your courage for doing this and for coming forward. Um, because without this evidence, it's, uh, it, it's been difficult for us to make our own case, um, things that we've been talking about for ages. So we really do owe you a debt of gratitude for this. Well, thank um, you. I mean, they're, they're always telling everyone, no, 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 it's a, it's a conspiracy theory it's an, um, <laughs> without evidence. Hundred percent, right? Um, I, I, I know, I know. You and Corey have been talking a bit, and Corey also um, has done a report on this, and she's been pretty anxious all week to get in and talk to you and hit you with some questions. So we're we're going to sit back for a while and let um and let Corey take this away whenever you're ready, Corey. Okay, how you doing, Zach? I'm doing really good. It's good to be here. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. I know you've been really busy, and I, I think it's important that everyone keeps you in the spotlight. And uh, before I even begin, why don't you tell people, people your Twitter handle so that they can follow you and help share the information that you're putting out? Right. So the listeners here can follow me on Twitter, at Perpetual Maniac. Okay, and, great. And I'm, and I'm aggregating all of the um, evidence of... Um, censorship by YouTube and Google, and I'm using that as a center point for um, attorneys and researchers to be able to easily find that information to help them in their fight against censorship of the American and global citizen. Excellent. And we're going to put that link below this video too. So, And I'm also going to link to your, um, I know you do some articles over on Medium, so I will link to that as well. Mm -hmm. And before we get into the documents, I just I have to ask you, and, and only answer with what you feel comfortable with, but something I'm really curious about, and I think other people might be as well, is the experience you had with the DOJ. Is this something where you scheduled a meeting? Did you just show up? You know, how were they receptive to this or indicate they were going to investigate? And more, most importantly, did they offer you any kind of whistleblower protection? Just kind of curious how that experience went. So my experience with the DOJ has been, um, I, I live in San Francisco, the DOJ is in Washington, DC. Um, my my co only contact with them is that I sent them an email saying that I was going to deliver this information uh, and giving them a digital copy. And then also sending this information via snail mail. So I printed out all around 950 pages of documents Mm. Uh, and put it in a giant box 
with uh, the laptop that I used to acquire this information, and I sent it to the DOJ in Washington, D.C. Wow. And did you get confirmation it was received? I did. I did get confirmation that it was received. And just to make sure that they received it, we actually handed it in physically to the Washington, D.C. office and got a receipt stating that they had received it and by whom. Very smart. Good, good. Okay, well, great. Um, just for people who haven't, I know you've done a lot of interviews, um, but you never know when people are going to come in and hear this for the first time. So some of the documents that you had turned over were internal documents that you had been collecting while working at Google. And they, they include, uh, which people can find on uh, Project Veritas, which is who you, you went on their show and went over some of this with them. And they have all of the links there. And some of that includes a YouTube blacklist, which they denied ever having, uh, autocomplete search feature, uh, removing words and names entirely from being searched and controlling what they deem to be misinformation by pushing it down in the rankings. And then, you know, increasing what they deem to be reputable sources and moving those to the top. So tell us a little bit, uh, why don't we start with the blacklist? Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, so I was listening to some Google executives giving testimony saying that they didn't have blacklists, saying that they didn't have um, a political bias or ideology. So I just, you know, as a full-time employee of Google, I just went to their internal search page and typed in blacklists. Hmm. And what popped up was the YouTube query blacklist that they were using to censor people. And so I realized that what Google was saying to the American public was contradicted by data that anyone inside of the company could just search for. Wow. And the, the list, what we have here is it's 40 pages. I believe it's 40 pages. And I mean, there's pages and pages of Las Vegas mass murder at Las Vegas shooting. They have several things on, uh, various abortion searches, in, including the, uh, I believe it's the Eighth Amendment, or eighth, was it the repeal um, mm -hmm. in Ireland. And even so far as cancer cure and people looking into, uh, with abortion, looking, trying, to look, trying to understand risk factors. And they're, so explain to people what happens when they go in, you know, what this blacklist means when they go into YouTube and they're trying to search some of these terms, 40 pages worth of these terms. Yeah. So this blacklist got taken down um, after it got exposed. Uh, but when it was up, what it was doing is, is it was acting as a crude suppression tool. So when people were shoot, were searching for, um, certain phrases, these phrases would be matched against a blacklist. And then the content that was, um, that was associated with this would be deranked and pushed down in the rankings because people typically view the first results and the first like, you know, um, 10 results, right. You know, that into consideration, they're not going to go to the, um, they're not going to go to like the 15th page to find the right. content that they're looking for. And so, Part of YouTube's um, use of plausible deniability is to say, well, we're not actually censoring it. We're just, you know, protecting users from 
same content. So they, they, they just push it down. They just push it down and, and mm-hmm. deeper and deeper and deeper so that it's harder and harder to find it. And right. what's kind of funny about this is that the deeper it is, and if users still click on something that's deep, then the algorithm says, oh, well, this is, this is obviously something that's important, should be re-ranked. And so they have this fight that happens between content that, that is highly engaging and content that is supposed to be suppressed. And so sometimes what happens is that if there's a collection, if there's a network of influencers that are talking about a subject, and if, they're, if, if like four of those are you know, suppressed, then what mm-hmm. happens is that the fifth person will be, um, will be amplified. And so there's this constant cat and mouse game where Google's trying to uh, suppress uh, influencers and that only causes the algorithm to start to look at the engagement for the people that aren't suppressed and then start recommending them. Mm. Now, I just want to interject something here that's a little bit, uh, it's completely on topic. It's not something that that you disclosed, but it's something I personally witnessed firsthand um, eight years ago. And I feel it's important to bring up because I started seeing this in sort of a slightly different arena over in in Google about eight years ago. And I know I had mentioned this to you um, in a message I sent you that I used to run an e-commerce store and we were, you know, we were killing it in Google and we got to the, within the top three keywords. And like you were just talking about, no one, no one's going to go to page 15 and often not even page two. It's, it's the top 10 that matter. Uh And going, being in the top three versus number 10 at the bottom of that page is all the difference in the world. So we had, uh, we had beat out, you know, all the big department stores, all the big, big names. And then Google decides, wow, we have all these smaller storefronts, you know, toppling these bigger ones. And we're going to change our algorithms and we're going to push the big ones to the top because we've done, you know, a test survey group. And concluded that they want, when they're typing in their keyword searches, they want the bigger stores that they're familiar with to come up at the top. Even if those keyword searches are not 100% identical to what products those stores even carry. It was crazy. So what I watched happen is I watched my vendors, uh, competitors, and several other, you know, tons of e-commerce stores just get obliterated. And shut down. We watched a lot of brick and mortar shut down and we watched Amazon just keep climbing and climbing and all the big, you know, big companies climbing to the top. So in my opinion that they've been playing these games for a long time. And what you started witnessing in 2016 with them having a meltdown over the uh, need to control the elections, um, that was like Google coming out of the closet, like as a last effort, and they start dumping these internal documents. I mean, I'm speculating here, but, but for me observing this over the last eight years, that's kind of what it feels like. And then you start seeing all these internal documents dumping where they're literally trying to, um, you know, have biases and trying to affect the elections. And yeah. go ahead. No, go, no, go ahead. I was, I was just saying, yes, that's right. Yeah. So, so on that note, um, you know, the, the autocomplete feature also plays a role in this with the searches. If you want to talk about that. Yeah. So the autocomplete is really an insidious thing. You know, Google introduced this prediction 
so that when you go to Google search and you start typing in something, it starts giving you predictions of what it is that you're trying to type. And this was really good for a while. And uh, it's one of the most useful features that they've inter ever introduced into Google because you get to see what other people are searching for. But, um, and so during the election in 2016, uh, the Clinton campaign realized that this was a really big problem because for probably, this probably isn't going to surprise a lot of your viewers, but mm -hmm. um, maybe some, but there's a lot of people that have died around Hillary Clinton and this oh, yeah. is documented for decades. You know, they even come up with a term called Arkansas to refer to someone that has dirt on Clinton showing up dead with a suicide with two gunshot wounds to like the back of the head. Right. And, um, you know, this has been going on for, for years and decades. And, uh, and so as a result, there's a lot of user traffic that has been, you know, centered around the Clinton body count. People are searching for that a lot. Um, but the thing is, is that during an election, this truth is really damaging for the establishment because they're trying to push Clinton into, a, into the presidency. And so what they have to do is that they essentially have to, you know, and this is kind of Orwellian, they have, to, they have to delete it off the internet. They have to make it not exist. And so mm -hmm. they went in and they deleted the Clinton body count. And that was, you know, that's basically election interference to, to do this. Um, Google never said that they, were, that they were censoring things. And in fact, they, they accused people of saying that they, that they were censoring as conspiracy theorists. Uh, one of them, and it didn't matter how much credentials they have, like, Robert Epstein, the former editor-in-chief of Psychology Today and a Harvard-trained psychologist, has carefully studied this auto-suggest feature and mm -hmm. has stated that at between 2.5 million and 10.5 million people have been, um, have, had their, uh, have, have been unduly influenced by hiding all this information and uh, that the election was 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 influenced using this method. And it's really insidious because the thing is, is that when you're, when you're sitting there and you're typing something and you think that this is what everybody else is typing for, then you get this false consensus of what the consensus believes, right? Right. It's a manufactured sort of projected reality. And so you're sitting there and you're typing, you know, Clinton body count. And if there's no auto suggestion, where there's an auto suggestion for like anything, like any recipe you type in, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff that pops up. But if you type in Clinton body count and nothing pops up, then you just think, well, oh, well, it is just a baseless conspiracy theory, a fringe conspiracy theory that people really aren't searching for. And that's, that's not true. Like you can go to Bing, you can go to Yahoo search, you can type in, a, you can type in Clinton body and then you can see that it auto completes for, for, um, for, the Clinton body count. And so, you know, the fact that they were doing it just for, you know, like, like the negative terms, like Clinton, like, you know, Clinton body count, that was bad enough as it was, but what turned it into abject clown world was when they started poisoning their databases with uh, terms so that they would float to the top, which really didn't represent any sort of like consensus. So for example, um, if I, if I fire up my browser and I go to google.com and I type in, you know, men can have, you know, the, the top three are men can have babies, men, mm -hmm. men can have babies now, men can have periods, you know, and then you, 
it's like, oh, well, that's what everyone is searching for, right? And the women can have, women can, can fly, women can do it, women can do anything, women can vote, women can be drafted, mm -hmm. right? Who's searching for women can be drafted? I mean, you know, n nothing in here includes like women can cook, you know, women can take care of children really well. Like, like you would expect that if it was, if it was just a little bit biased, that there would be, you know, um, gender progressive and gender normative or historical terms mixed in. But what's happening is that they're pushing their ideology full blast and full tilt. Oh yeah. And, and, and it's, it's so creepy and it's so like, it's so disturbing that it's something that needs to get out there and people need to understand what's going on because they can say, Oh, this isn't happening. Oh, this is just a bunch of right wingers that are, that are making something over nothing. Right. You just got to set them down. You're like, no, 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 just, just, just search for this. Like men can, and just, and just look and see what's going on. Right. And, and it's just the, the look on their face. They can't, they can't figure it out why this is happening. <laughs> but at least you're opening their eyes. Right. Right. That's important. And you know, another term, if you type in, uh, now I had done this about a month ago, so I don't know what, who knows what it's doing now, but I was running several different Hillary Clinton terms. And one of them was Hillary Clinton email, which should have auto-populated with server because God knows millions of people have been, you know, that's been in the news for years now and nothing, nothing fills with that. In yeah. fact, if you just do Hillary Clinton, it auto-populates with like her college where she graduated from, you know, all these fluffy, wonderful things. So now if you explain to people, um, and, and I suspect something on the, you know, Google might change this soon enough with all of this disclosure coming out, but explain to them how Google Trends, how that feature operates, which clearly validates what we're talking about here with the, um, with the autocomplete search results. Right, so Google Trends was a product that Google brought out a while ago that allows you to see what the search traffic is for a particular term. It doesn't give you the numbers because that's a trade secret, it's claimed. But mm -hmm. what they can do is that they can give you the relative value of that term um, with itself over time. You know, so it's they'll, they'll give you like, oh, its top was in this in July and its bottom was in October of this year. And you can go back five years. You can kind of see like how it goes up and down. And then you can also compare it to the average of like another number. So for example, I can do uh, Clinton body count and then I can compare that phrase to Trump body count. And then I can see how, how popular, you know, the Clinton body count is in relation to the Trump body count over time. Mm -hmm. so, so you get those two graphs and then you're like, okay, well now I can see the relative frequency of this. So you can easily tell like whether one's trending more than the other. And so you can, you, it's just sort of this trend investigator, hence the reason why it's called trends.google.com. And so the thing is, is that if Google is claiming that the search terms that are used represent what users are really searching for, but then, and then they also claim that the, um, that the trends represents this, then you can figure out that Google's lying someplace. Either they're lying when they say that, that the autocomplete is, is based off the trends, you know, or they're lying when they say that trends are based off the trends. So right. which one is it? Is Google lying or is Google lying? <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. And it's, you know, it, uh, I don't know if people understand just how, 
absolutely frightening this is. Um, it, it, it's like suggestive mind control. And one of the um, statistics that Epstein had in his report, and I hadn't read the whole report, but I was just, I was looking through it the other day. And he says that, you know, these suggestions, it's in regards to elections anyway, can turn a 50-50 split among undecided voters into a 90-10 split without people's awareness. Yep. I mean, that's, that's scary. Um, one of the things that you've brought up, you know, for me, one of the, the, the biggest, obviously the elections is a big one, but yes. it's the mind control. It's altering people's perceptions that is directly affecting their decisions, not just with elections, but on a lot of fronts. I mean, they're they are pushing some really disturbing agendas. And uh, one of the things I found really fascinating in, um, I know you've said this in some of your interviews, but for those who haven't heard it, can you explain the ASH experiment? Yeah, so the ASH experiment was done either in the 60s or the 70s. And what happens is, um, imagine that you're a, a subject and you apply for a, a psychology test. You come in and there's seven other people and you all sit down in a room. Well, it turns out that the seven other people aren't also volunteers. They're actually actors. And mm -hmm. their job is to give the wrong answer. So there's an instructor. The instructor goes up to the chalkboard and he writes like four lines on, on the chalkboard and he asks you know, all the subjects, which line is like the largest, like A, B, C, or D. And each one of the actors will give the wrong answer. Guess what, what happens to the regular subject? What, what answer do they give? Mm -hmm. They give the wrong answer as well. Yep. As even though they can see what the right answer is, the fact is, is that the consensus effect is so strong that they will they will tend, I think it's like 66 to, you know, 66% of the time, they'll also give the wrong answer just so that they can fall in line with what the consensus is right. you know, indicating, signaling. It, it, it's this whole herd mentality. They've been working for a long time. And I remember, God, it was probably about a year ago. I don't know if you ever saw that video circulating where it was in like a doctor's office and there were a couple people sitting there. And when they had this bell, like this bell go off in the background, and when it would go off, one person stood up. And it's like each time it went off, a person stood up. So then the other people around them started standing up. And, and then as more people came in and sat down, they were doing the same thing. And not one person like questioned, what are we doing? Why are we standing up? You know, they just like follow the path. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's really quite scary. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's a herd mentality. Like humans are herd animals, mm -hmm. um, and some people have elected themselves as shepherders of, of of the crowd, and that's essentially what Google has anointed itself to be is this social engineer, and they're going to um, they feel that they can program us through you know our use of their information systems. Mm -hmm. and reimagine society in their, in their image. Right, and surveillance, uh, all the surveillance and the collecting the data from all the devices and, uh, and then turning around and selling that to you know, businesses and most likely intelligence companies all over. And I mean, what, what's your thought on that? 
Um, well, I mean, the thing is, is that to, to understand what YouTube and Google are doing, it's, it's interesting to know what Facebook is doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Facebook told us that they were, that our data was synchrosynced, that they didn't sell it, that they wouldn't sell it. And then Cambridge Analytica happened and then an investigation came in and audited a bunch of stuff. And it turned out that, oh yeah, they actually sold it to like 68 different intelligence organizations. Okay. So now what, what similar pattern do we, do we see with Google and YouTube? Right. They say that they protect all of our information. They say that they're, you know, protecting all of our data. But, um, you know, we've got this famous saying in Silicon Valley, if the product is free, you're the product. <laughs> so, so the thing is, is that part of my disclosure is not any proof that, that Google is selling your data to multiple intelligence agencies, including China around the world. Right. But, but it's my opinion that that is a very, very likely thing that's happening. In fact, if, if, I, was, if I was playing you know, the table, I would say that this is better than Vegas odds that they're doing, right. you know? Right. And, I, and I, would, I would put everything down that I had that they are actually you know, on the bet that they're doing this exact thing. Right. And then, then that comes in, well, you know, like I, I noticed that there's been some of their big clients like P&E have like slashed their advertising budget in half, you know, some, some years ago. And, uh, and Google didn't take a hit on their revenue. Like it just kept on going up and it's been going up in sort of a really nice year over year, like exponential graph. Mm -hmm. and so the question that I have is, is, you know, what percent of that money is actually being fumbled in from intelligence um, consumers, you know, like the, like the former CIA and, you know, the, 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 the country's equivalents of the, of their CIAs, you know, like Mossad. And I don't know what the, what the Chinese intelligence um, uh, organization is, but you know, that, that would be a buyer of this. Like how many of those, how much of their ad revenue is actually, you know, the revenue of selling your data? Right. Right. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think back um, eight years ago. I want to say it was called Panda. When they decided to make that move to switch the algorithms, they brought in someone from Japan. Do you know who? I don't, who I'm not aware of Panda, what Panda is. No. Okay. That, well, that's what it was called at the time. They were calling the, the new algorithms for Google. They were referring to it as Panda and they brought someone in from Japan. I'm just, I'm just curious if you know, like, is, are there algorithms right now? The, the, um, I guess the construction of it or decisions around it. Do you know what outside sources there, they might, that might be working with them with their algorithms or. Yeah. So um, the ADL and the SLPC were um, third party people that came in and they were trying to figure out like what was hate speech and what was not hate speech. Hmm. And, um, and then there's other NGOs like sleeping giants that gang up and um, have an inside communication line to Google and YouTube. And what they do is that they try to deplatform people that they believe are problematic, including journalists, you know? Yeah. So one of the things that was released, um, by Breitbart was internal communication showing how sleeping giants were trying to 
uh, they were trying to remove Breitbart and then also employees with inside the company were advocating for the removal of Breitbart from the ad network so that they essentially had all of their ad revenue funding on the internet shut off because simply because they disapproved of what Breitbart was saying because they didn't, because these leftists think that there's fake news everywhere and they simply can't see that news that doesn't align with their echo chamber as being real, that we're all just, that everyone else is just a bunch of patsies that just believes anything that we, that, that, that we can because we're, um, because we're bad people fundamentally. Right. Well, it's like that clip um, by Eric Schmidt where he talks about the, you know, the one answer and how all other answers are bugs. And, and, and that was from, wasn't that from like eight years ago, I think. That was 2005 from Charlie Rose, you know, and he's sitting down with Charlie Rose and he's like, yeah, we've got more bugs than any other company. You know, when, when someone types in a query, we should just give them one answer and it should be right 100% of the time. Yeah. You know, and, and everyone was just like, wow, that's really evil, right? And then they go and then they use an Amazon Alexa. Mm. Which is essentially that exact thing manifested as a human assistant. Yep. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, they're going so far as to removing words completely can can you can you tell what you found with god i can't even pronounce the word is it kofefe how do you say that kofefe yeah kofefe (laughs) kofefe yeah so trump went to saudi arabia and then he came back from that country and he did a tweet um and let's just see um kofefe tweet what what was exactly he said because I have it here in my report. Let's see. Despite um, the constant negative press, Kafefe. Yes. Right? And then six hours later, he deleted it. And he said, who can figure out the true meaning of Kafefe? Enjoy. Well, mm-hmm. sleuths on the internet figured it out. And <laughs> Google Translate itself, you know, translated it to we will stand up. And some some other scholars came out and said, well, this is it actually, that's actually one translation, but there's a, it's actually an antediluvian term. So it happened before the great deluge or the great flood. So greater than 10,000 years ago. And the word means something like, you know, um, we will stand up to the fallen ones, right? Mm. It, was a, it was an ancient rallying cry and Trump was kind of, you know, in a coded message sort of telling his followers that we're going to stand up to these, to these fallen ones. Right. And, um, and the powers that be hated this so much. Well, the New York times ran this article saying, Oh no, everyone on the internet is wrong. We talked to an expert in Arabic studies and he says that this word is completely nonsense. And that was, um, I think that was like the end of May just right beginning of June, 2017. Right. It was like June 1st, or maybe it was May 30th. I can't remember, but um, um, they, the New York times wrote this article and then an executive, a high high up executive at Google used this justification to draft a memo 
a design document to specify the removal of kafefe from the English to, to the Arabic to English translation dictionary. Mm -hmm. And then um, that was implemented. And the team that censored this word and deleted it in order to make this Trump tweet sound crazy was literally called the Derrida team. Which is? So for, for those that don't know, there's a guy by the name of Jack, Jack, Jack Hayes, uh, Jack Derrida. He was um, from the Frankfurt School. Um, he started with his, with his cohort, he pretty much started cultural Marxism and the cultural Marxism movement. Shit. And his thesis was that, you know, he, he advocated for the destruction of Western civilization through an attack on language by changing the definition of what words mean, right? Yeah. And, and so the team that decided that was responsible for deleting this word was calling them, were naming themselves after this villain of Western society. And it's, 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 it's mind blowing. Like it, 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 goes, it goes from, it goes from, Oh, these people don't know what they're doing to, Oh yeah. These people know exactly what they're doing. Oh yeah. It's complete, complete, uh, plotting and deceiving and manipulation and it's just, just it's it's pure evil pure it's evil pure. and they're getting enjoyment out of this uh -huh. and, and you know for for those that you know that don't know your full story i i think it's important that people understand you know you had worked there for eight years and you know in your interview with project veritas you had said you were making $260,000 a year with, you know, I, I believe that included your share, stock shares. Mm -hmm. um, that's a lot to walk away from. And when you first went on Project Veritas, you, you know, they concealed your face and, and altered your voice. And then how much time was between that and when you came back on to do the, the disclosure, you know, publicly? About a month, maybe? Yeah, it was about a month and I was willing to sort of like let everything go. Like I, I didn't hit him really hard on the, on the undercover disclosure that I did, you know, behind the mask of anonymity. I didn't really right. want to, I just wanted to like, you know, get the word out that, Hey, like they think of their users as being programmed and they've, they've sort of elected themselves to program you. And they actually said in their slides that we disclosed, like contents generated, media's filtered it, is filtered and aggregated something, 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 and people like us are programmed. Okay. And then the cycle repeats, right? Those program people that are influenced, they, they then generate new content and then that's, that's re-ranked and, you know, refiltered, you know, to, to, to repeat the cycle. Right. And so that was, that was released and people got, were like, what the heck? And so senators, you know, they came back and we're using that to talk about Google and asking them pointed questions and that was great like okay you know the cat's been let out of the bag we didn't have to release everything let's hope that change can now take place right and so you know coming back on the show was always an option but i put an embargo on the rest of the data and pretty much just went on my way I was like, I don't want to out myself. I want to get back to work. I'd like to be hired again by a big tech company that's, that's less evil, you know, or not evil <laughs> right. at all, preferably. Right. And, uh, and get back to work, right? Like I got a future ahead of me. Until? Um, until um, I got 
outed. Yeah. One, I got outed by Google on Twitter. And two, <laughs> they put their law firm after me and the law firm started coming after me. And the law firm was the thing that hit first. They sent me a letter. They're like, um, you know, we, we demand that we find out that you stayed, you know, whether you retained our documents, who, you know, you, what documents have you retained and who did you send them to? And can we look at your private laptop and let's look through all your, your data backups. Like we want a response to this letter. So um, I, I sat down and I thought, I was like, okay, like they know what they've done. They can, they've got logs on their servers to know what I accessed. And if they do know who I am or they have their suspicions and they're trying to flush out that suspicion right now. And then I realized, well, if they're going to, they're going to get up my laptop, then they're going to, you know, use that access to delete these, these files. And mm -hmm. the reason why they want to delete these files is because they're trying to cover up their criminal activity. Right. And, um, and if I let them, then I'm colluding with them to obstruct justice. Even though an action hasn't happened yet, I know that I'm, 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 I'm engaging in a cover-up. And I said, I can't do that. That's wrong. So I took the laptop. I printed out all the pages of the documents. I put it into a giant box, and I sent it to the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., to their antitrust division under Attorney General William Barr. And I replied to Google that, you know, yes, I've retained your documents. Um, I've given it to law enforcement um, along with the laptop. And, uh, and so that was, that was sort of the first thing. And so I, I, was, I was like, okay, well, maybe they won't, maybe they won't bother me anymore. Well, <laughs> then what happened is they came out of the woodwork and outed me on Twitter. Some guy calling himself one snowflake and he had a picture of a snowflake. This, this person creates an account. Four minutes later, he responds to one of my comment threads. But I don't respond back because he's just a, he's got no followers. Right. He, he, he waits about five days and then says, hey, by the way, Zach, don't you want to change your bio mm. you know, to indicate that you don't work in big tech anymore? Mr. Leaker. And I went, what the heck? Wow. So I, I sent this to my support network um, and one of the people set up a honeypot and got this guy to click the honeypot and the guy clicked it without, without any sort of VPN or tour. So we just captured his real IP address. We were able to reverse geolocate it back to Google, Indiana. Nice. So we actually saw the data center that the IP originated from. Like, okay, well, this insider is from Google. So obviously they know who I am. And right. now they're trying to run like a PSYOP because they're trying to get me to make a mistake so that they can hit me in court. And, you know, I've talked to lawyers that have been defending some of the other whistleblowers. Google is nasty. They are nasty, oh, nasty, 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 nasty. The story of what happened to Kevin Cernacki is so sad. He didn't even go to the media. He just went to the labor boards and um, of California and the Fed and, and the federal one and gave them like a, 2000 documents and uh, wrote up a 50 page report about how Google was systematically targeting conservatives within their, um, 
within their offices yeah. and and um and then he got ambushed got you know dragged into hr they grabbed his laptop they searched it and then they found out you know that once they had all the documents that and all the timestamps and all the log activity on his computer then they filed like criminal lawsuit against him alleging that he had not gotten the documents legally but he had in fact hacked into you know their their networks which was a complete lie i mean wow. google just did not have good security on their damaging documents i know this because i had access to them right but they tried to say in court just to destroy this guy that he was a criminal and try and like hang this sword of democles over him saying mm. you know we're if you don't capitulate we're going to send you to prison and all this guy did, did was trying to like blow the whistle in the appropriate way. And right. he didn't expect to, to get his finances destroyed. So far he's spent over a hundred thousand dollars defending oh himself God. because of what Google's doing. So. Wow. And they're, they are dirty. They called a, a mental health check on you and SWAT showed up. Right? right. So after I found out that they knew who I was, um, then what I realized is that I was now a high value target because, because I hadn't disclosed to that many people that I had blown the whistle. That meant that if they assassinated me, then it would be a conspiracy theory that I was a whistleblower. Um, and the value of assassinating me would be to prevent the disclosure to the American public of the extensive censorship that Google was running on the, on, on the population. Right. So I was like, okay that's a good return on investment for an assassination on me. So I decided that I was going to put myself into a safer position. I called up James O'Keefe from project Veritas. I told him that he can, that in the event of my untimely death, that the embargo on all the documents dissolves and he can publish them to, he can release them to the public. Yeah. Okay. Mark. I then I then went to Twitter because I knew now I knew I now knew that they were following me and I posted on Twitter in the in the case of my untimely death, all documents become public. And I had this this ancient picture of a dragon, the snaky dragon that had its tail wrapped up around a guy, and as his last move he like was stabbing it in the heart. And my yeah, message to that. Google. Yeah. And so my message to Google was like Hey, you, you can, you can kill me, but if that happens, then it all goes public. So, um, so I posted that a mere, a few hours later, um, uh, a, a mental wellness check gets called on me and the police first show up at my decoy address. And this wasn't like San Francisco police. This was Richmond police. And they tried to figure out where I was and they didn't believe my friend that I wasn't at the house and they kept on pestering. They kept on pestering, you know, and then they, they went and sat in their car for like a half hour talking to dispatch. And my friend gives me a call and he's like, yo man, these people really, really, really want you. And yeah. I was like, do you think they would have arrested me? He's like, Oh, I'm sure of it. Like they definitely wanted to take you in to, give you questions surrounding like this, this wellness check. And so um, 30 minutes later, I get a doorbell you know, my doorbell's rung. And then I, I'm able to look down cause I'm on, I'm on a, one of the top floors. I, I'm able to look down and see that there are police at the gate. And I'm like, 
mm, I'm just not going to answer it. Like, that's my right. You don't, have to answer, you don't have to talk to the police. So I'm not going to talk to the police. Why talk to the police? Right. So, so I just don't go down there. And the, the, the door, the gate is situated that, in such a way that there's a gate and then there's a door and then there's a stairwell that goes all the way up to the top. So uh, the police are at the gate ringing the doorbell and they ring it like a bunch of times. And then somehow they get through the gate I think the neighbor let them in and they start pounding on my door, like pound, 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 pound. Yeah. Hey, Zach, come down, come down. Pow, 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 pow. Hey, Zach, come down. We want to talk to you, but they don't really announce themselves. They just pound on the door. Right. So I'm like, mm, I'm just going to let this blow over. Right. Like I know, I know what this can lead to. I knew somebody that got into a bad situation and then called a suicide hotline and then they came and arrested her and, and held her, for 24 hours and then put her up on a psych evaluation. So I'm like, well, that's the worst case scenario. I think is, you know, they, they, they haul me in for my safety and then they give me a check by a crooked psychologist that, you know, no matter what I say, he'll just mark it down as crazy. And then if that happens that I've got a bad, a negative psych evaluation and then they can use that slander me in court. So the last thing I want to do is go into any part of the system. I want to avoid the system. Absolutely. So I'm like, I'm just going to hang out. I'm going to let them go away. And then I'm going to like get out of here uh, and go to Washington, D.C. or something with some friends in the safe house. Um, well, the police didn't go away. And what happened is that they saw a bottle of denatured alcohol in a tin can. And, my, and a, a denatured alcohol is used for, um, for uh, fire spinning, which is mm-hmm. a type of fire dance that they do like at the festival. And my roommate does that all the time. So she just left this, you know, down by the gate. They look right. at this and they're like, could that be a bomb? Right? Like it totally wasn't a bomb. It was like, it was like a tin can, a large tin can in, in a brown bag. Right. And they're like, gotta be safe. Gotta make sure it's not, it's not a bomb. So they call in a bomb squad. Right. <laughs> and they call, and well, if they're going to call in a bomb squad, they need to call the SWAT team and they need to call the FBI you know, and then just to make sure that everything's safe, they, they, they station police with, with these, like, long, with these rifles, sniper rifles. Yeah. The opposing. Crazy. Yeah. And, and on the opposing buildings. And I don't realize that any of this is really going on. Um, oh, yeah. And then they also blocked off from 20th and Valencia all the way to 22nd Valencia and started evacuating everyone. Wow. And they evacuated the theater right next to me. Um, and I, I was unaware of this, but I started to get a hint that something could be wrong because there was a helicopter at this point <laughs> that was flying really close to my house and circling around. But I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking there's no way this is for me. Like that would, that would be a paranoid conspiracy to think that they had unilaterally escalated to the point that they would call in a helicopter. Like how would they know that I'm just not home? Right. I don't even know if I'm home. I could be at work. They wouldn't just call in a bomb squad for someone that's not answering the door. There's no yeah. way this would happen. Well, sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And I found out about it because my friend, who they had visited before this, had now arrived in San Francisco going to my house because he had a bad feeling about what was going to go down. Uh, is he the one who got the pictures of you yeah. coming down? Okay. Yeah, he's the one that got the pictures of me coming down. So he sees this, he sees all the police, he sees everything's shut down, he sees everything's blocked off, 
you know, he sees that people are on their roofs taking pictures and video trying to figure out, you know, they think that there's some sort of like gunman standoff or something, right? They don't know. So he gives me a call and he's like, yo, man, this is really bad. I was like, what do you mean how bad? He's like, dude, there's cops everywhere. I was like, you're kidding. I was like, it's got to be for somebody else. Like maybe there was a murder and it just so happened to coincidentally (laughs) happen next to me. And that's what they're going. And he's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to him. Calls me back. Oh yeah, it's definitely you. They're all waiting for you to come out. (laughs) Wow. Your heart must've been going a hundred miles per hour. Mine would have been. Black helicopters. Yeah. That's when you know that you've done something. (laughs) I was able to look at the helicopter and it was a news helicopter. So I was like, okay, so it's a news helicopter. Um, you know, I, you know, in, in a few years, there'll probably be like drones that will fly up to the window. Right. It's actually surprised right. they don't have the drones at this point, you know? Um, but, um, yeah. So, so you, but you did go down then and you talked to them. I didn't want to go down because like I said, I didn't want to talk to them and I didn't want to go into a psych evaluation so right. people get, get ammo to claim that I was crazy because, because some crooked doctor is under their payroll. So um, I'm talking to the police. I'm like, look, like, what do you want? Like, like, I'm sorry. I don't want to talk to you guys. Like, that's my right as a citizen. They're like, yeah, but we've got this wellness check and we cannot leave until we just ask you six questions. And if we ask these six questions and we're satisfied with the answers, then we're going to, that's it. It's going to be over. We're going to complete the process and we're all going to go home. I was like, you're kidding me. That's all you need to do? They're like, yep. So I was like, okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'll meet you downstairs at the gate, and, uh, and we'll just we'll – just, you can see my face. We'll just ask each other – and you can just ask me the questions, and I'll answer them. He's like, okay, that's great. I was like, great. So I think there's a resolution. I go down the stairwell. I approach my door, and then what I realize is that the gate is, is swung open. There's a pair of handcuffs to prevent the gate from closing back in, and there's – two bomb robots one bomb robot already has its arm through the gate grabbing denatured alcohol to pull it out and there's a little tiny robot right next to it that's got like a camera and it's like a high-speed cam. it's like a high-speed robot oh my god this must have been so surreal and i'm just like i'm like there's there's no way that anyone's going to believe that this happened so i pull (laughs) out my camera and i started taking video of these bomb robots in my doorway and uh smart thank you and so I, I called I called the police back and I'm like, okay, look, I'm I'm here. There's some bomb robots. Like, I'll just wait for the bomb robots to leave and we can have the face to face. And they're like, actually, that's not going to work. Actually, we need you to come out, and then we need to take you under detention. Then we'll ask you the questions. I'm like, no, no, no. That's that's not, that's not how it works. You just made an agreement with me. We just agreed to meet, and now you're not going to meet me. So how can I trust you that you're going to? not arrest me and you're not going to haul me in, you know, on a, on a false charge. Right. And so he's like, no, no, you can trust us on this. And I said, no, I can't. And so I, I go away and I refuse to like do anything more. And then they, then they call me back. Like, look, we're, we're going to stay here for as long as it takes, you know, until we answer these questions and there's nothing we can do. We have to ask you out this in the open. So I'm, I get frustrated. I was like, okay, that's cool. Well, everyone's filming you. So, you know, if something happens, I'm going to film it myself so that if I get, if I do get arrested, then there's, then I've got a copy of it and there's not going to be any of this. He, he said, she said back and forth, you know, there's going to be recorded footage of everything that's happened. So I agree to come out. I put my jacket on, 
I come out of the building with my hands up. They give me instructions on, you know, how to turn around and how to put my hands behind my head and walk backwards. And then they, they, they grab me, they put my hands, like they hold them behind my back. And then they search every one of my pockets for weapons. Mm-hmm. And then they, uh, and then they, they ask me a bunch of questions, you know, and they're like, well, why would Google call this wellness check on you? And I'm like, because, <laughs> because I sent all of their information proving their criminal activity to the department of justice. And they're like, do you have a letter that proves that or any sort of proof? I said, yep. I pulled out my phone and I showed them the letter that I had screenshotted and, and gave it to them to see. And they're like, Oh boy. Oh wow. Oh, so you're a whistleblower. I'm like, yep. And I was like, this is retaliation because I revealed their criminal activity to the DOJ. And they're like, oh, wow, right? So they were all taken aback. They had no idea that, this, that I was going to be a whistleblower. Right. So at that point, they got really friendly with me. And we were joking, and everything got really cordial. And then, you know, and then every, everything started to de-escalate really rapidly after that. And, and people started to go home. They brought the, ro- the bomb robots back, and the bomb squad cleared my house. And then, um, you know, and, and that was pretty much it. I do want to add that the SFPD and the FBI that were there, you know, once they found out like what was going on, actually they were, they're really cordial and professional all the way through. And once they, once they understood what was really happening, then they were really friendly. They were terrific. They're all like really great people. And, uh, and they, they told me a little secret. And the secret is, is that uh, the only realistic cop show that is on TV is Reno 911. that's funny wow well thank god i mean thank god it ended like that because yeah it could exact like you were saying with taking you into the psych ward i could see them doing that and that getting going taking a really bad turn so so thank god you got a group of guys over. and let me tell you I got the heck out of San Francisco. The next morning I was on an 8 a.m. flight and I headed directly to a safe location in Washington, D.C. where, you know, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't get to me because I'm like, well, you know, this is a sanctuary city. So MS-13, which does a lot of contract killing, could get to mm-hmm. me, you know, and the city's all bought off. And so I'm like, well, you know, I don't think assassinations are as easy in Washington, D.C. because yeah. – they've got more of a stake in keeping order and security and they just don't want people to get whacked in Washington, DC. Like no one's going to want to do business in that area. <laughs> right. So, um, so I, I went there and then started laying down the groundwork and then it turned out that a bunch of journalists really interested in the story. And so Sarah Carter, um, who is an independent reporter that contributes to Fox, mm-hmm. she got my story down and um, she's been doing a lot of reporting on this. The, the true pundit guy, did a, a whole story on this and caught me on video um, in a sit down and uh, really kicked off this whole thing. Like when Project Veritas released this, then it was Sarah Carter, you know, that, that sort of um, put all the attention to Project Veritas. Yeah. Yeah. I think she, re- didn't she release her report like the night before you went on Project Veritas, I think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, that was good. Yeah. Sarah's good. Zach, let me, I got to ask you, do you believe that there is a deep state or individuals that are higher up that are 
controlling these platforms, these, you know, the social media, the Google, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, do you believe that they are taking, their executives are taking instruction from people that, that are much higher up? So this has been a question that I've been asking myself and I've been applying a technique called Occam's razor, you know, and yeah, the thing yeah. is, is that if they weren't all controlled by operators within the shadow, then how come they, what would explain the fact that when they censor somebody, they all censor it at the same time. So for example, Alex Jones got censored on across all social media sites and the censorship his accounts all got banned within like, I think three minutes of each other. Wow. And so how, how can it, how, how can that all happen at the same time? Right. Within minutes of each other. Like there's, there's, there's no way that that could coincidentally go down like that. And, um, and then I see these like these theatrics that are happening and whenever YouTube or Google bans or, or Twitter bans someone, it's always in response to some sort of orchestrated theatrical event. So I'll give you an example. Like there's this guy by the name of, um, calls himself Gay Wonk. He's Carlos something. He works for Vox News. Okay. He is probably one of the most hateful people right now on Twitter. Like he just, he, he is just... He, he spews constant racism and class division and warfare. And then someone called him out for, I think it was Steven Crowder called him out for it, made fun of him. Um, and his stuff was re the reaction to what, you know, Carlos was saying was really mild by Steven Crowder. But then yeah. this, this whole thing erupted and, you know, YouTube's like, well, we got, I guess you got to go ban a bunch of people now. And, and so what <laughs> I see is I see this like Hegelian dialectic that's playing out. Like, like there's this, there's this fake problem that gets amplified by the media. And right. then the, the, the social media giants respond to this fake problem with their predetermined solution that they, they want to do. And you can see this a lot with like 8chan and all the stuff that was happening with the, with the QAnon stuff. Like there was a lot of just, damaging intelligence that was being disclosed over 8chan and so what happened is that you know whenever there's this like mass shooting the supposed mass shooter goes on and uh and drops this manifesto on 8chan right and then even though it gets deleted like within minutes um you know all the media reports about how this guy went to 8chan and 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 dropped this and how 8chan's this like white supremacist hangout that right. is filled with conspiracy theories and, and, and then. But, but and then they can stream on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, that's fine. They won't get in trouble. Yeah. And so, and so they, they, they talk about 8chan and, they, and then they, um, and the need to take it down. And then it gets taken down. And then there's like another mass shooting. And then um, I think it was NBC reported on the mass shooting and reported how the person went on 8chan and dropped their manifesto and their plans for attack. And people on Twitter are laughing because they're like, 8chan's been down for a week. What do you mean he right. went on 8chan? Right. You know, exactly. That's impossible. Right. And then you go back. <laughs> and then, and then once you start getting this idea that a lot of these things that happen in the media are actually staged intelligence operations, you start looking for all of the little things that go wrong because in order for them to carry out this intelligence operation, they have to compartmentalize everyone just as a safety feature. 
And whatever, right. whatever sloppiness happens, they're just gonna fix it up through their control of the media afterwards is sort of like, think of it almost as post-production. And so what happens is that these people that are involved in these, in these events, they don't, they don't have the whole story because if they ever got a crisis of conscience and they ever, and they ever like disclosed all of this, then they would blow the whole cover and then they, then they got a much bigger problem. And so, you know, you go back to 9-11 and if you look at that as like, well, what's the evidence that that was an intelligence operation? And you're like, well, there's a bunch of people that didn't show up, you know, and they, they were all under a certain nationality. And then you go and you figure out that like, oh, well, you know, there were not two buildings that went down that day. There were three buildings that went down that day. And that the, the, the extra building, building seven, which the media doesn't want to talk about. They always want to talk about the twin towers, but building seven was the third building that went down and it kind of didn't get hit, but it kind of caught on fire. And then when it collapsed, it collapsed at free fall. And, and this is like the weirdest thing ever. And so you're like, okay, well, well, wait a minute. What could it describe that? And you can't figure out, like, I can't figure out any physical way that this building could go down. And then I see this video where this BBC reporter is talking about the collapse of Building 7. Oh, Building 7 just collapsed. And in the background is Building <laughs> 7 still standing. With <laughs> like, okay, well, so, the, so this is an intelligence operation. And now the media's in on it. And... Oh, yeah. And because everything's compartmentalized and they're sloppy because, you know, the, the, the people that are running this are not the most competent. They're, 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 they've been selected because they... They're good manipulators. Yeah. But um, they're, um, not, they're not that smart. They're not, they're not <laughs> the smartest. They haven't thought everything through. Something goes wrong and they don't, they fail to notify people that there's been change in script. And as a result, right. they go out and they report things that haven't happened. And, um, and then there's witnesses that contradict what the narrative that's being said, you know, and, uh, and then that sort of leaks out into the public and then brave patriots will capture it and archive it offline and then drip, 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 drip it out whenever right. the, the, the establishment. So in answer to your question, is there a deep state? The deep state is the only thing at this point that makes sense of all the things that are happening because it's all coordinated and Whenever someone goes down a rabbit hole, they see things that are just absolutely mind-blowing, that there really isn't any other way to describe it unless there is uh, bad actors that are highly organized that have control of the money system and control of the media that are able to pull these stunts off. A hundred percent agreed. And that's what we've all been trying to expose for a long time. And uh you know, there's just, there's, there's one thing and, and maybe there's nothing to this, but when you were working there at Google, I'm just curious, did you ever see anything like on the inside that felt, you know, like a red flag to you as far as high level people or politicians coming in, meeting with executives or anything like that, that kind of made you stop and think? Yeah. And I released it. So part of my disclosure was I released a video by the CEO of Susan She's, she's talking to um, everyone at the company, talking about the need to fight fake news, that there's all this fake news and that they're going to push up authoritative content. Mm -hmm, I saw that. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, what the heck? What? Authoritative content? I thought this was YouTube, not their tube. You know, <laughs> what, what do you mean you're going to push up authoritative? That authoritative content just lied to us about Clinton going to win. And 
they, they've been hiding all the stuff about election. Like at this point, the credibility of the media is, is at all time low. And this is like in 2016, right. um, 2000, being in 2017, I'm like, I'm like authoritative content. That's the exact opposite of what we should be doing. And I'm sitting, sitting there to myself. I'm like, great. Haven't these executives been following the news? Aren't they aware of how discredited the authoritative media content is in the eyes of the population? Like, mm-hmm. I think it's like, it's like 70% at the time, right after the election, like agreed that the media was a highly biased political machine that lacked credibility. Yeah. And now, and now they're trying to like push it. So, um, you know, and then, and then the thing is, is that you, you meet these people, these, these, these high end executives. Cause like internally you would have meetings with them. Right. And they, they sit us down and they talk about what good people we are to protect, you know, our users from all this fake news, you know, they, they, they've got to communicate to this, you know, and, you know, all this talk about being on the right side of history. And, and I'm sitting there like, you know, you know what a good example of this is? There's this picture, you know, where all these people are sitting up there and like, they got their hand out trying to like hail Trump. And there's like this one guy and he's like, mm, I'm not participating in it. And he's just like sitting there with his arms crossed. Like, yeah, I don't like this one bit. That's me. I'm that guy. I don't go <laughs> along with the consensus. Right. It's my own like conclusions about things. And so to see these high level people without irony and kind of a snaky smile mm-hmm. telling us about how we need to protect the users from all this fake news and all this conspiracy stuff online I'm I'm just sitting there with my fingers, with my hands clenched underneath the desk, going, "This guy is in on it. This guy, yeah. this guy's protecting his own." I'm like, and then that that's like when the conspiracies start becoming real. Is I mm-hmm. see these people that are supposedly so competent and so great at what they do that they've risen to the highest levels of the company, yet they're so blinded that they think that half of America has just completely lost their minds, and they're trying to they're trying to protect them for the good of those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the power and control the, they all have is off the charts. And with the media and everything you were just talking about, with 9-11, all of it, um, it they all, it's like they're all operating off of the same playbook, same talking points. Um, you, we see it on Twitter all the time where a politician will jump in and, you know, whether it's, say, Hillary goes in and tweets something, and then next thing you know, within a half an hour, all of their people just start repeating the same thing, or they have the same the same buzzwords, the same keyword phrase that trying trying to hammer over and over, just pure propagation, you know. Yep. Uh, it's, well, it's, we had this concept of the of the left and the right, you know, and now that the deep state's been completely exposed, mm-hmm. all of these all of these magazines that and all these newspapers that pretended to be, you know, um, on opposite ends of the Overton window have now. It's all, all the narratives are collapsing so that they're one and the same so right. that they can push out their narratives to the, to the population in a unified voice. That's the reason why you saw David Cook or David Koch join forces with George Soros, mm-hmm. you know, at the end. It's, it's yeah. like, okay. Yeah. Well. well, listen, I, I appreciate you answering all my questions. I could sit here and ask you another 20, but I know Edge has a couple questions she wants to ask before we close. <laughs> she, she must be rocking in that chair. So I want to say something. <laughs> I 
Oh, but I really would. We really would like to have you back on, keep you in the spotlight, make sure this information keeps getting out. You know, there's 950 pages of documentation here that I certainly haven't gotten through all of it. So, so in that, I thank you, Zach, and yeah. I'm going to pass you over I, to Edge. I, I, I want to remind the audience that these leaks are so damaging that the establishment media is putting the fingers in the air in their ears and pretending that this isn't happening. They're going, la, 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 everything's safe. There's no censorship whatsoever. And the reason why is because this document trove that I've released, you know, when you see the words that they blacklisted in that YouTube query list, you know, you're, you're going to see, you know, what Google's really up to. They're censoring words like the eighth amendment to the constitution of Ireland. They're mm -hmm. censoring words like cancer cures, right? Every 9-11, 9-11 was on there. Yep. And all of these, all of these things, all the, all these mass casualty events, every single time one hap uh, one of these happens, all the people that are being accused as false flag actors and they and, and people are trying to search for evidence that these people are, have been involved in other mass casualty theatrical events, they're, they're, they go through and they block all those words. And so I believe at this point that one of the reasons why this isn't being talked about is because it, it goes beyond scoring, you know, surface level political points. It goes right to the heart and it, it rips the mask off the fraudulent mainstream media and, right. and shows what's actually what the social engineers are really doing to keep control of us and what we say and what we find out. Absolutely. Go ahead and take it away, Edge. All righty. Zach, I just wanted to personally thank you for coming on the show and for your courage and stepping forward with this information. Um, everyone in the world can benefit from what you have done, and we thank you. Thank you, um, Yes, thank you for, for coming on. And also, I just had a couple questions uh, before we close out the show. So I wanted to ask you, I know that you have encouraged other Google employees to come forward. Have you had contact with any of them since you turned in the documents? And do you believe anyone else is going to come forward? Uh, I wish I could talk about that, but I can't talk about that. Oh, um, darn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, all I got to say is time is on our side, okay? So just stay right. tuned because um, this story is not over. Good, good. Well, we're going to do everything we can from our end to keep you and this story in the spotlight because it deserves attention. Also, I wanted to ask you one last question before we close. Um, bef what, um, what is your personal plans for the future and what do you think the future holds for Google and potential invest investigations? So, um, for, I'm not hurting for money yet. Um, and so at this point, I'm going to continue my campaign of disclosure to the population, to the American citizens, to the people of the world, um, because this, we're at a critical period right now where this disclosure is causing ripples and these ripples are causing change and this change will produce a more free and fair society. And so I'm, I'm committed to, um, putting this out into the public for as long as I can. Um, and so that's, that's, that's sort of what my near, near term future goal is. Um, and what was the other question? Like, what do you think the future holds for Google and potential investigations into them? Well, I know that every single lawyer that's got a, a fight against Google right now 
is currently looking at the documents that I've disclosed to the public. And the thing is, is that the hard part about Google is, you know, these documents aren't, the, the incriminating evidence is not like in a file cabinet. You can't just like go into a file cabinet and find the document that you want. You actually have to go on, get credentialed and get onto the network in order to download these documents. And so Google has been playing this game where they block electronic discovery at all costs and drag it out for years on end. And so for me coming out uh, with this disclosure, I said, well, here's the documents. This is how you do like, you know, you can, you can just ask for this document and get them to produce it. And then you can start, you know, opening up your evidence chain and increase the size of the evidence ring further and further and further. And so I've talked to, you know, uh, numerous people and their attorneys, they've been thanking me for what has happened because they're directly using these documents in order to further their lawsuit against Google because it proves that Google is censoring conservatives. It proves that Google is censoring non-mainstream voices. Absolutely. Um, And so, you know, there's this saying that I like from Andrew Breitbart who said that politics is downstream of culture. And so right now we're still in the culture phase of this operation. We're disclosing to the public. We're getting them to talk about it. We're countering the lies by these tech giants. Um, If you want proof of this, just look at what Susan said about being open and then see the people responding with the evidence of, of their censorship. And so right now we're in the culture phase. And right now the senators and the Congress people are in recess. So they're canvassing around and they're talking to their constituents and the constituents are coming to them and saying, what are you doing about censorship? And all they're hearing right now is censorship, censorship, censorship. And when Congress gets back into session um, in a little bit, then a next phase of this operation starts. And that is the politics because there's a bunch of people that are very unhappy and it's not just the people that are unhappy with this. It's other tech. Um, there's other tech giants that are, are other tech Titans that are entering into the fight because they know that if we can get shut off, then they can get shut off. And that if some person's health blog can drop by 90%, then what's going to stop Google from just dropping them and pulling the lever. And they realize that there's nothing stopping them. There's no law you know, other than Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act that's preventing, you know, Google from switching from a platform to a publisher just like that. And so right now we need to have, you know, a new set of laws, um, an Internet Bill of Rights to protect users' data from being sold to nefarious state actors that are against our our, our interests as a country. And, um, and Congress needs to add some teeth onto the, you know, to, 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 the, to the declaration between being a platform and being a publisher. If a corporation is going to be a platform, then they can't break from that. And if they break from that, there needs to be severe penalties associated with switching from platform, from platform to publisher. Um, because they can't, you know, like this, Google got big from this concept of being an open internet. And then as soon as they get control of everything, they just slam it shut. Like that, that can't, that can't exist. They can't, 
you know, ride the platform train until it's convenient and then step off, become right. a publisher and then, and then lock everybody down unless, you know, they've got billions of dollars to pay for their content to go to the top of the search results. Like that's, that's what they're planning on doing eventually. And, I see. and, and the whole growth model that they pushed and their promise to the shareholders and to the American public that their mission statement was organize the world's information and making it universally accessible and useful. They need to be held account to lying to the public about their intentions. You know, they've, exactly. got, a, they've got a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to maximize shareholder value. And the fact that they jumped in to politics and put all of the value of their, of their corporate, of their shareholders, you know, in jeopardy is something that, you know, should not be tolerated. Where's the SEC? Where's the FCC? Like who's coming to the defense of these mm -hmm. people that have invested in Google, taking them for their word and believing that Google had established a social contract with their, with their investors. Like why aren't they being investigated for, you know, um, shareholder fraud? Like <clears throat> this is, this is criminal racketeering. This is criminal antitrust. Uh, what these people have and, and, and what they've done to, you know, delegitimize the president by trying to make his tweets sound crazy is in the very least seditious activity. And right. someone needs to hold Google to their own standards that they try to apply to everyone else and, and more because Google's held themselves to a particularly high, to a particularly high standard, almost like a priest class. And, um, and, and even the, by the fact that we've, we've removed that mask. They still pretend that that's the way that they are, that they're these high mighty people, but that's changing and it's going to change in steps and, um, you know, stock up on popcorn because it's, it's going to get, <laughs> <laughs> I think that, uh, I think that speaker had one last question before we close. Yeah. Just, just it's more of what I reckon your opinion is on, on this Zach. Um, how, how do you see the rise of alt tech going forward? places like Gab, BitChute. Right. So right now, non-establishment alternative voices are exploding. Um, everyone that I talk to has been seeing an increase in users because people want people that are authentic. 100%. And they realize that the establishment is not authentic. They're controlled narratives. They see language as a battleground where combat takes place, not a search of truth in a market of free ideas. Um, and so, you know, once I saw Google, like I left, I resigned at Google right as, right in response to them doing another adpocalypse and a huge censorship um, campaign. And so I've been able, from what I've been able to see, to make that be put on pause that, and, and to prevent additional censorship for now. And so I see, all these people increasing, like Tim Pool, Sticks, Hex, and Hammer, um, Jimmy Dore. I see all their, I see all their numbers rising up. Like their profile keeps on going up and up and up. And I really hope that that continues to happen, because you know we're 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 entering into a new phase of of our society. And the yeah. last time that this happened was with the introduction of the Gutenberg printing press, when information became cheaper to to distribute to the people and what happened is that instead of just the establishment pushing their narratives onto the population people were suddenly able to make books and print out the books that they liked and being able to share you know religious scripture 
and there was this awakening, you know, of the corruption of the church. And then like the, you know, the Protestant reforma- reformation happened as a result of, of this enlightenment period and, and a whole bunch of sociological, like deep sociological changes took place. We're living today in a new era where the digital Gutenberg printing press is being introduced. And for the first time, people are able to once again bypass the media in new ways. And as a result, we're becoming resistant to their propaganda. And in the same way that a a person can become insulin resistant, the population is becoming uh, propaganda resistant. And in the same way that a doctor will try to treat a diabetic, by pumping them more full of insulin is the same way that the social engineers are trying to control the population by pumping them with even more propaganda. But the only reason why they're doing this is because fundamentally they are losing and they're scared of losing because if with this new type of society where people can spread information that matters, social engineers that remain in power because of their control of the narrative, because of their control of the money, they see this as an existential threat. They fear a great awakening. Yes. Great, great way to put it. Great answer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great way to close. Thank you so much, Zach. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, We appreciate your courage in coming forward with all of this information. And uh, I encourage everyone to go and follow Zach on Twitter, which will be linked below. Um, Stay tuned uh, for an important short clip on Google after we close the show. And also, guys, be sure to review Corey's recent report on Google, which you can download in her bookstore. Thanks again for joining us on Dig It with the speaker, Corey's Diggs, and myself, The Sharp Edge, and, of course, our special guest, Google whistleblower Zach Voorhees. As always, you can find all the links to Corey's Diggs and HiveMind below. Be sure to share, like, subscribe, and hit that bell. We'll see you next time right here on Dig It. And and one of my questions leading to is help us understand where's the future of search going? Well, when when you use Google, um, do you get more than one answer? Of course you do. Yeah, of course. Well, that's a bug. Yeah. We we have more bugs per second in, in the world. Because we should be able to give you the right answer just once. We should know what you meant. You should look for information. We should give it exactly right. And we should give it to you in your language. And we should never be wrong. Um, second area, fake news. This is a hard area. Um, you know, a year ago, we didn't have the term fake news. Now everything is about fake news. We hear about it every single day. Um, it's had a lot of um, concerns about how it affected the election, how it affects politics. Um, news is important to us. We are a platform with global distribution. Um, we talked about the number of users that are coming to us. We have some responsibility to make sure that we are delivering the news when something important happens in the world, when there's a crisis. Um, we think people could benefit from this news. So it's, news has always been important to YouTube. Um, we also see people in locations like Syria where their traditional news organizations can't get to, um, and people are talking about um, citizen journalism um, coming out of Syria. So what are we doing? Um, basically, this sounds easy, but it's really hard to do. We're pushing down the fake news, we're demoting it, um, and we are increasing the authoritative news and promoting it. Um, how do we do that? 
Um, we have a whole system. We came up with Trashy News where we have build classifiers, we identify it, we look for salacious, for clickbait, content that isn't, um, that we don't think is, is uh, you know, the authoritative news. It's just kind of encouraging people to look at, but it's not true. Um, we're training, we added these instructions to our tr um, raters, and we've updated our classifiers, um, and we are working to understand, identify that with machine learning, and then to push that down. And then we're increasing our authoritative news. We're doing that with things like um, a breaking news shelf. Um, we're triggering it in the US, in France, in the UK, and more countries coming soon, where we have sources that come from reputable sources. We work with Google News on that um, to define what those reputable sources are. Um, it triggered last week in the London Bridge attacks. Um, it's also gonna trigger on search. When you type in something, you're looking for a news event, you're gonna see um, news there. We're also working with a lot more news publishers. News publishers don't want to be in the technical business of running their own player. We can do that for them. Um, and we also want to get more news players on the platform. We have the goal of getting over 100 new news uh, providers on our platform this year.